Hello, hello, and welcome to this bonus transmission of Monster Island Radio. For anyone who heard our previous episode where we discussed Mothra in 1961, you may remember us talking about the video game Dawn of the Monsters in the Kaiju Corner segment. So I managed to snag some time with Alex Rushdie, the director of Dawn of the Monsters, to discuss the game and talk a little bit about Godzilla as well. Graham wasn't able to chat with us today. I think he's off fighting what looks like a giant mantis somewhere on the island. Um, I hope he's okay. Anyway, I hope you all enjoy this special episode. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, did you have a nice uh, holidays and New Year and all of that jazz? Uh, I did. I did. I, uh, I mean, it was a little busy, but uh, got a lot of stuff done and yeah. got to play a lot of video games, watch a lot of movies. Sounds good, man. Um, so, for all of our listeners, uh, I'm joined by Alex Rushdie. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, nailed it. Okay, cool. <laughs> Alex Rushdie, um, CEO of 13AM Games and creative director of Dawn of the Monsters. Um, Alex, would you mind giving the listeners a rundown of Dawn of the Monsters and 13AM Games, just for anyone who's not in the know? Sure, yeah. So 13AM Games is a independent game studio that's located in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And it's been around for almost nine years. So... Uh, our first game, kind of our first major breakout, was a game called Runbow, and that's on, you know, everything under the sun. <laughs> and our most recent game is called Dawn of the Monsters. It's a cooperative side-scrolling beat-em-up adventure with some RPG elements, and um, it launched last March. And we are developing DLC that should be coming out. Uh, pretty soon this year for the game okay nice um yeah i was really late to the party on this one i uh, <laughs> i only played it in what was it it must have been yeah i must have played it in december so i, I was super oh, late nice. to the party but um yeah so my first question mm-hmm. is how did this come about i mean did you like pitch the idea to your team or were you approached by a publisher or like how does this how did this get off the ground? Uh, it's a bit of a long uh, and and windy story in some respects. So okay. back in I think it was 2016, we created a pitch for a kaiju fighting game. Okay, and we were shopping it around, um, trying to just trying to get a publisher to bite so that we could get the funding to finish the game, and. It was pretty tough to get a publisher to agree to fund a fighting game for a lot of reasons. I mean, one of them was that Street Fighter V came out and, like, did not do very well. (laughs) Um, And so publishers were like, well, if they're not doing well, then maybe people just don't like fighting games, which, you know, Mm. obviously wasn't the case, but they got to be very cautious, right? They're very very risk-averse publishers. Yeah. Uh, So 
you know, and, and, and at one point it was actually, we, we were actually talking to a bunch of people. And at one point it was actually going to be a sequel to the old King of the Monsters games ah. on the Neo Geo. Yep. Um, but uh, anyways, that, that version of the game didn't end up happening. So we shelved it and we worked on a game called Double Cross for a while. And then we were ready for a new project. And we were thinking about that monster game because we still liked the idea. Uh, mm. We still liked the concept, but we wanted it to be something different. And we were looking at, okay, well, there haven't been a lot of kaiju games that have like a strong cooperative element or that mm. like, you know, I mean, there were no kaiju beat-em-ups, which we looked at and we were like, that's weird. Like, that's like yeah. the, the best genre mix. A beat-em-up or like a, a genre where you punch everything and smash everything <laughs> with a kaiju. Like, why has no one done this? Yeah. So we pivoted from a fighting game to a cooperative action game. Uh, and we also looked around and realized that, that, I mean, there are a lot of kaiju video games, but not a lot of them or almost none of them have like an, an in-depth story. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to do a beat em up with a story with, you know, more in depth combat with its, you know, an upgrade system, that kind of stuff. We wanted to create this, this new experience with a very bold new visual style. Mm-hmm. So we came up with a prototype. We showed that to way forward who we had already worked with on some work for hire stuff and they dug it, um, got us the rest of the money to, to finish the game and then came out, you know. Yeah. In in March on uh let me see PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Switch, PC and Google Stadia which no longer exists. Oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, you probably would have done better better putting it on the Wii U or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on Stadia. Might as well. Um, so I talked with uh, on the previous episode of uh, this podcast with my co-host Graham, and uh, I was just saying how much I love this game. It is it is so good. Yeah, like beat 'em ups are my favorite anyway. So that's already a good start. Nice kaiju's as well. Come on, you're onto a winner here. So, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the choice to make it a 2D beat 'em up, side scrolling beat 'em up was great because. Like, I think um, in the late 90s, when, you know, we transitioned from 2D to 3D, mm. you know, it's uh, it killed off a lot of side-scrolling beat-em-ups, you know, um, the same way, like, you know, CGI movies kind of killed off cell animation, mm. you know, um, and it's kind of sad because some of that artistry sort of gets lost. And I mean, you could even say the same thing about Godzilla to some extent, like, um, yeah. You know, suit and uh, suit actors and miniatures. You know, you don't really get so much of that now, if any. Um, yeah. So, what I really liked about this was it's like a return to what makes side scrolling side scrolling brawlers great, without being like a retro pastiche. So, like, mm. I I don't know if you've played uh, the uh, new Ninja Turtles game, Shredder's Revenge. I haven't had a chance yet, but it's on my wish list. I got to get a copy. Okay, so like. It's good. It's great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But I think it felt a little bit lacking in some regards because it, they tried to make it as retro as possible. Mm. And I feel like with Dawn of the Monsters and like, I feel like that's kind of part of the new wave of side-scrolling beat-em-ups with like, you know, Streets of Rage 4 and River City Girls and stuff like that. It kind of, you know, it it builds on the history rather than imitating it. Uh, 
and yeah that's yeah it's great i absolutely love that i mean obviously beat em up still existed still exist in in some regards you know in in the 3d realm but that side scrolling thing just yeah sort of got lost so i'm happy to see this resurgence so yeah you guys should be so proud of yourselves it's uh, <laughs> it's great <laughs> thank you no i i appreciate that. that that's something that we were pretty conscious of while we were developing it is kind of kind of like you said when beat em ups went from 2d to 3d um like you know beat em ups in the late 90s were getting much more complex and much more deep and interesting than beat em ups from the late 80s right so there was mm-hmm. this progression and then we went to 3d and it's like okay all the progression of 2d beat em ups kind of stopped but we got 3d beat em ups like you know devil may cry and god of war and whatever yeah yeah and they started really pushing combat in different and interesting directions but a lot of beat em ups nowadays are looking to like those old school beat em ups from like the 80s and 90s um and not so much at like modern action games and so mm. we wanted to see if we could pull those some of the concepts from modern action games into the into the side scrolling style because the advantage of the side scroller is not only is it much uh, I think simpler to grasp, but it allows for co-op, which I always love games I can play with a friend yeah. co-op. Like I, I love Bayonetta, but like I can't sit down and play it with a buddy at any time. Yeah. It's just not yep. going to happen. So Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, I wonder if that's why I like beat em up so much. I think it is the co-op aspect, even though I rarely get people to play with me, which is the <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's uh yeah, no, it's a good choice. Um, so, yeah, what I really liked about this versus kind of other beat-em-ups, because what I tend to do, I tend to go for fast, quick characters. Mm-hmm. Like, the majority of the time. It's just a, a playstyle I'm used to. But with this, I found the opposite was true. Like, I really liked the weighty, the weightiness of playing as the Nephilim. And, like, I, I barely touched, like, um, Tempest Galahad or Aegis... Ages Prime. Really? Yeah, yeah. I it was most mostly Ganera, I think. Uh I don't know. It's, it's something about the controls you got down. I mean, did that take a lot of work to kind of get that that weighty feeling down without it being slow? Do you know what I mean? It did, it did, yeah. Cause well it's it's interesting. We built each of the characters in such a way that, that the playstyle would be very unique, right? We wanted each mm. character to really have its own voice. And to not just be like reskins of each other, yeah. Um, so part of the part of the process in doing that was actually mapping them all out and looking at okay, what are this like? What's the core element of this character? What are they? You know, what's the play style we're trying to support? Mm. Um, when it came to to, I guess when we were looking at making a kaiju game, we knew we didn't want to be realistic. Not only because like. I mean, it's kaiju, like it's not realistic. Trying to pretend it is, I I always find kind of silly. But also because there have been, I played, I mean, I don't want to throw shade, but like I remember I played a lot of the PS4 Godzilla game and like you move very slowly, you know? Yeah. yeah. Your turning radius is slow. And it makes you feel like Godzilla. I was like, to the thick, you know, really made me feel like. Feel big. Feel big. (laughs) Yeah. But. As a game, it just wasn't fun for me, at least. I was like, I really wish that I could do things a lot quicker. Yeah. And so what we decided to do is go, okay, 
we're going to focus on making sure the combat is fun, whether it's kaiju or not. The combat is fun first, and then we're going to add little accoutrements to make it feel big. So, like, you know, everyone's walk speed is the same. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, light attacks come out fast, that kind of stuff. But when a heavy attack comes out, when it hits, there's a lot of hit stop, you know? Everything kind of freezes or whatever there's a lot of visual effects yes there's heavy sound effects there's that kind of stuff i think the the 2018 god of war did a good job of this because like kratos in that isn't like you know jumping around and performing 100 hit combos yeah um he feels weighty he feels like a like a big man that's swinging an axe yeah but it didn't feel sluggish you know yeah yeah, yeah. um that's a good point actually i never really now you've mentioned it, I've now realized like, yeah, when you do those heavy attacks, there is that kind of like freeze frame almost mm-hmm. when it lands. It's like that, those little sub- subtleties, like you say, that's kind of, that adds to it. And so, uh, yeah, very good. I didn't realize that's what it was that was making it feel so <laughs> impactful. Yeah, it, 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 that affects a lot. And I mean, even little things like with, um, with Megadon. So he's got the heavy hold attack where he winds up a punch. Yes. And then he, he unloads it and explodes. And like, there's, there are so many pieces of communication that went into that one attack. So, I mean, there's the animation of it winding up and it's smearing when it moves so fast and when it impacts yep. and there's all the visual effects, the enemies freeze, the enemy shakes a bit. There's an explosion. Um, even the fact that you have to hold the button makes it feel like you as a player are winding up. Yeah. So like ways to make it feel heavy and powerful, but not slow because i mean people don't really have fun in action games if they're slow like (laughs) yeah (laughs) um the rage mechanic was really cool so like i think that added a kind of almost strategy element to it Mm -hmm. which is you know kind of mostly absent from a lot of beat-em-ups um where did that idea come from was that was that kind of like a leftover from the king of the monsters gameplay idea you had or like what's yeah that's exactly it when when we when we were working on it as a fighting game we had meter that you would build up like in a like in a fighting game like marvel versus capcom or Mm. or, um i mean i was always a big fan of tatsunoko versus capcom and so you could build up bars of meter and you could spend certain amounts on different attacks and when it came time to turn it into a beat-em-up, we were like, this is actually really cool because I always like the idea of, okay, you have a resource, but you have a bunch of different ways to use it. So you've got your rage, and you can use it for rage attacks, and there are different ones that have different effects, but you can also use it for executing. So you can be like, yeah. oh, I want to trade and get some some health out of this and insta-kill an enemy. So it actually is definitely comes from a fighting game background. And um, I, I know that there are some some action games that have, you know, energy meters mm. in in different ways, but not quite in that same like fighting game style. You have this many bars, and you can use you, you can pay for these different abilities. Yeah, because um, I, I at the start of the game, I found myself kind of just kind of playing through, you know, not not button mashing, but I was like, okay, yeah, light attack, light attack, heavy mm-hmm. attack, kind of thing. But as it, as the game progressed, I was like, oh, I can't get away with just doing that. And I was like, okay, I actually need to balance how I'm using my rage meter and like, you know, storing up for the cataclysm and stuff like that. And I was like, this is actually, yeah, it feels quite strategic. Um, 
yeah no it's it's a, a good uh a good choice there i really enjoyed that um now so like with movies right you have test screenings mm-hmm. now with video games like you don't how, how does this work i mean because like if you know you guys are kind of an indie team so it's like do you just give it to like friends and family to play in early states and like see how they respond to it or is it all internal and then you kind of release it and go i hope everyone likes this <laughs> well, we, we we do a few different things uh we test it internally so the people who played the game most are, are the design team mm. myself and our three designers have played the game more than anyone and we recognize after a certain amount of time that like we're just too close to the game to accurately judge a lot of things. Yeah. So when it comes to play testing, we, a lot of times it's friends and family. We'll have them come try the game. Um, sometimes, you know, we might have a friend or someone we know who's really good at, say at this particular type, like someone who's a big fan of beat em ups. Mm. We'll probably get them in early to, to play test the game and give their thoughts and feedback. And then as we get closer to release, we start testing. Sometimes we'll just, put out calls for tests, you know, mm. for play test sessions. Sometimes just random people and we just see if we can get them in for a play test session. It was harder during COVID. Um, right. But we, we want to get a decent spread of people to play the game to make sure it's not too hard. It's not too easy. Balance it, check to make sure that it's not like boring at points or whatever. Mm. And, um, and yeah, and then the final testing is bug testing, which is, you know, the game features are locked and everything. We just got to squash everything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. It's it's, I'd say different from film where they'll have test screenings and the film might almost be done. We do a mm-hmm. lot of play testing kind of throughout the process as like a, a way to check to make sure. So like even really early on when the game barely looked like anything, we had some other designers that we knew come in, play it, and give feedback, and then built that into the next version okay um yeah you're saying like obviously since covid i mean yeah that kind of must have did that mess things up i mean like so w- when did the when did development start was it prior to the pandemic or was it yeah as it started oh it was yeah development started in, in 2019 kind of in full swing and um we I'm trying to think of where we were in development in March 2020. But regardless of wherever we were, uh, we ha- we sent every we used to have an office. We sent everyone home. We said hopefully we'll be back in 2 weeks and you know that's not the wasn't <laughs> the case. And we just moved everyone to work from home. Yeah. Got rid of our office and I've been working that way ever since and and it was challenging. Oh right. Very challenging, but um, a lot of people really like it. You know, there's a lot of benefits to it. Yeah. And it was honestly, I feel pretty, pretty blessed because in the games industry, it was very easy for us to transition to work from home. It's all on computers. It's all yeah stored through a build server and a network and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, for us, it was on a technical level, pretty smooth. The challenge was more of like the social, like communication and making sure things still run smoothly. Mm. Man, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, to get rid of your office. I mean, a lot of yeah, I mean, a lot of places haven't still haven't done that. You know, a lot of people are returning to work. So I feel like you, you guys are like pioneers here for the work <laughs> from home thing. Uh, no, that's good. I mean, I guess you're all used to it now, right? And now oh, yeah. things are, yeah. Okay, man, that's good. That's good. 
Um, so you guys are based in Toronto. What's the indie scene like there? I mean, I'm sure there's more than just you guys, but you're the only ones I, I actually consciously know of. There's there's actually a lot of, you know, not just indie game development, but game development in general in Toronto. Mm. So a lot of that has to do with the fact that there were some big studios that used to exist in Toronto, um, Bedlam and uh, Silicon Knights, like if you ever played Eternal Darkness. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And when those studios went down, a lot of the developers just like basically looked around and said, why don't we just make our own companies and do indie games? Uh, And the the government, the Ontario government, supports a lot of digital media production. Yes, because there needs to be like a certain quota, right? You need to hit uh, full of like, you know, um, yeah, like you say, digital media that that you export out of the country, right? Well, there's, some, there's something like that. I can't remember the... Well, it's, it's basically just that they, they have a budget that every year they'll fund a certain number of projects or, okay. or co-fund a certain number of projects. Mm. So it makes it... And there's also like tax breaks and stuff like that. Yeah. So it makes it very attractive. So yeah, there's, I mean, you know, uh, Cappy Games is here, Drinkbox, who made like Guacamelee. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, uh, Comey games is here. Um, sometimes it's, it's kind of, it's, it's funny. There's a lot of indie games that are made in Canada in general. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people don't realize it. And honestly, I feel like most of our sales are in the U S by like a big (laughs) margin. (laughs) I feel like Canadians aren't buying Canadian games. (laughs) Uh, they don't care, but like <laughs> Americans are like, "Oh, cool! This is great." So, <laughs> Just laughing it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you see that. I see it in a lot of um, movie credits. It'll be like funded by some Canadian. Yeah, it'll, it'll have like a logo for, for Quebec, and you're like, "What does Quebec yeah, have to do with yeah, this yeah, movie?" Exactly. It's got something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and it's it's interesting as well because I mean we sell our games globally. Hmm. But Dawn hasn't been released in Japan yet. It's coming out um, right. like very soon in Japan. And I'm really interested to see what it'll do in Japan because traditionally it's like our game sales are like, okay, USA, like North America is number one, yep. followed by Europe, followed by, you know, whatever else in much smaller quantities, like followed yeah. by Japan and then other quantities. Mm. But I'm 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 gunning for Japan to overtake like Europe in terms of sales, even though the population is not as big. I feel like it's kaiju. It's gotta there's gotta be more kaiju fans, right? There's, there's a market for it, surely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, so something I quite admire about indie games, well, maybe not indie games, but non AAA games, is like the best ones kind of work within their means. So mm-hmm. games like um, like Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice, Limbo, if we're going back further, um, you know, Dawn of the Monsters. You know, it, it doesn't have to be like a big open world, episodic story, you know, star-studded cast or whatever, if there's voice acting. Um, you know, it just needs to work with the tools and skills that, you know, you already have, but you recognize the limitations mm-hmm. and you keep everything achievable and keep it nice and polished. So I was wondering, is there anything that you, any bigger ideas that you had that you had to scale back when you realized actually maybe this is too big for us? Yeah, there were loads. Um, 
And I mean, we're, we're generally pretty okay at looking at something and trying to contain the scope to make it reasonable. Like, Hey, we can actually achieve this, but we're always, we're also always pretty ambitious with what we want to do. So even with Dawn of the Monsters, like making a game with this many different enemies and this many different missions and stuff was a lot, Mm. but there was stuff that we wanted to put in that we ended up having to cut. Um, like for example, we intended to have way more executions. Ah, okay. So right now every character has one execution, except Megan, you can see Megadon has two executions. He has a head rip and he has a gut punch. Yes. Depending on the enemy he kills. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of a vestigial remnant of when we were going (laughs) to have different executions for different enemies, but it was just like, wow, this is a crap ton of animation work because we're looking Uh, at doom, right? And doom has like, yeah, I don't know. A hundred different kills or something, something silly. Yeah. Of course, Doom has like, you know, thousands of people working on it, and, <laughs> you know, tens of millions of dollars. And yeah, so we were like, okay, we can't do Doom. We can't, we can't it doesn't matter how, <laughs> doesn't matter if the game's 2D. This is still a lot of work. <laughs> um, and, and, and even if we could do it, it's like, well, we could just put that work into making like a new enemy or like a new character. So we, mm. we got rid of that. Um, there were some enemies and bosses that we didn't do. I'm trying to think if there was anything else, like in terms of mechanics. We we also same with like character skins. So like right now you can equip palettes to change their color. Yeah. But at one point we were talking about having the character actually uh, change depending on what augments you equip to them. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh man! Considering how many augments there are as well, that. That's a lot. Yeah, it just got like so untenable. We were like, "This is this is nuts. Let's yeah. not do this." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I noticed. Well, I don't know if how much of this is kind of accidental or not, but like, I noticed a lot of similarities between Dawn of the Monsters and the Millennium Era Godzilla movies. Things like um, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla and Tokyo SOS specifically. Like, was there any kind of specific inspiration from those, or was it kind of like, or was it more of an amalgam of? kaiju genre in general that's interesting um i mean it's interesting you say i'd love to hear actually why why you think that but because one of my favorite godzilla movies are you know like i'd I'd put it up in like the the s tier row for me yeah is um godzilla against mechagodzilla i love that movie okay uh and i love that movie because i like the story of the pilot and her struggle, her internal struggle, and then how it manifests in like an external battle against Godzilla. I always thought that was cool. So okay. maybe that subconsciously influenced Jamila. Yep. Um, who has a tragic backstory. Yep. Uh, but no, there was a lot of the... So when we knew we were going to do Dawn of the Monsters, I sat down with the team and I said, okay, every week for the next however many weeks, we're going to watch two kaiju movies a week. And we're going to talk about them. Can I work with you guys, please? That sounds amazing. Yeah, doesn't that sound great <laughs> to get paid to do that? So we watched kaiju movies and we talked about them. And I think a lot of the biggest influences from those kaiju movies, at least like from, from my mind, me personally, were uh, Pacific Rim. Mm. Um, definitely had an influence. Um, the Gamera trilogy had a really big influence. Uh, Ultraman Gaia, the TV show, had a had a big influence, especially on the 
the team and like the dawn and the sunrise and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then some other like non kaiju stuff like Pat labor and a couple of other things like that. And I'm sure Unai, our writer had his own list of influences as well. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, I mean, yeah, the similarities I kind of noticed that they weren't kind of like huge things, but it's more smaller things. So like, yeah, Janela being one of them. Like I, I mm-hmm. she seems so similar to Akane in Godzilla against Godzilla. I was yeah. like, oh yeah, they they seem like almost like the same person, not like a rip off kind of way, but you know, there's that that kind of um, feeling to it. And like even things like when you see um, the the uh, Megadon and Ganera in the hangar, it just reminds me of the the same hangar where Mechagodzilla was, and mm, the, you know, the yeah, idea yeah. of the, having this, you know, having Dawn that team, the same as the um, I forget what they're called in. Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. What's the name of the team? I don't like. I remember in Megaguirus it was G Grasper. G Grasper was in, I think. Oh, in that Mega was Megaguirus. It might have just been like the JSDF Kiryu Squadron or something. It like might that. have been, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that whole kind of uh, yeah, that whole arrangement is just reminded me of that. So yeah, that's why I, I I thought maybe it was inspired a lot by that. But yeah, you know, you may have just pointed out my subconscious uh, <laughs> kind of love for that because well, also for me the millennium movies all of them those were that was the first time i can consciously remember oh new godzilla movies are, are coming i mean 98 i remember that coming out of course yeah but like i remember when 2000 came out and i remember then scrolling through internet forums and websites being like when is is it what's the sequel to godzilla 2000 when's that coming out and yeah following um, them all it's funny because on this podcast, myself and Graham, we weren't huge fans of the of kind of half of the Millennium Era movies. So <laughs> it's pretty understandable. It's like, <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, um, Mega Gearus, we weren't particularly fans of. Godzilla against Mechagodzilla and Tokyo SOS were better because that was the same team, right? That did all three yeah. of those. Um, yeah. So, but what I found was after playing Dawn, that actually made me think, oh man, I want to watch those movies again. And it's made me see it in a different way because it's like, I don't know whether that kind of format works better as a video game, maybe. I'm not sure, but it it's seemed to work really well. Right. It actually, actually made me think of those movies in a different way. So I'm actually looking forward to rewatching them since playing this now. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, because I, I always enjoyed Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, but it wasn't until I was until like a few years ago mm. that I, I, I rewatched it after not watching it for a long time. And I was like, Oh man, like I actually really like the the characters in this movie. Like there's yeah. there's a lot of character moment stuff that you don't get in a lot of Godzilla movies, which is mm. kind of weird. Maybe I didn't appreciate that when I was younger. Maybe. But, well, okay. Well, I'll, I'll rewatch and see how I feel. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Mega Mega Euros. I would enjoy a lot more if it was like I don't know a half hour shorter. Maybe like yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a struggle. Let's be it, real. It is a struggle. <laughs> Because that didn't that that came out after two thousand, right? Yeah, yeah, man, that was a huge step down. I mean, I love, I love <laughs> <Yeah>. two thousand. <laughs> I remember when it came out, and I was like, "Why is Godzilla like leaping in the air? Like, what's going on? This is so different." <laughs> um, yeah. So this game, fully voice acted, mm-hmm. man, great, great idea. Because that was something that I was I I feel sorely missed from Streets of Rage four. I, I don't know why I expected mm. there to be voice acting. Um, there's no reason to expect it, but for some reason I thought there would be. <laughs> so, but yeah, playing this and it was fully fully voice acted and voice acted well. 
I was like, man, this is great. This is, uh, that, I mean, was there any plan to not have it voice acted and just have text boxes? Or were you like, from the get-go, no, we need voices for this? Well, so our, the game that we did before Dawn of the Monsters is called Double Cross. And, I mean, it had a pretty crazy development. You know, it was kind of not finished when it came out and ran out of money from our publisher and oh. whatever. But, you know, it still had a lot of cool ideas that we liked in it, and it had a pretty in-depth story. But we didn't do it with voice acting. Okay. And once we released it, we got a lot of feedback being like, oh, I wish that this had voices. I wish this had voices. And then we were like, you know what? We wish it had voices too. <laughs> uh, so so we made that just like a goal because we, we wanted to have voice acting because we thought it was cool and we thought it would serve the game really well and be able to present the emotion and the narrative better. But also because we wanted to do... We wanted to try it. Like we'd never we wanted that experience as a studio. Mm. And uh, yeah, we got uh, Christina V, who's also one of the voices, was our voice director. Okay. And we got to sit in on all the sessions and give oh. notes, and it was great. It was a really cool experience. That's awesome. And and the uh, the Japanese version is going to have Japanese voices. I was going to ask. Yeah. That's that's awesome. I so, and wait. So is that going to be? Are you going to patch that into the? US yes. and your okay, yeah. right, cool. So so you'll be able to play Dawn of the Monsters dubbed or subbed if you prefer. Okay. <laughs> um and and what's funny is I mean we, we chose the voices based on the performances we liked most, but almost not realizing it, a lot of them had already done some kaiju stuff. Like Rebecca Thomas was in one of the Evangelion rebuild films. Um she was the voice of Jamila. Christina V was actually in Godzilla Singular Point as Jet Jaguar, as like baby Jet Jaguar. Oh, right. Um, and then in, I'd have to check the Japanese voice cast as well, but it's got people who have been in Tokusatsu and people who have been in like Street Fighter and stuff. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool cast. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, so for the characters... Did you have like a favorite character from the game, like that you were like, yeah, I'm proud of this one? I did. You did you come up with all the characters, or was it like a was it a team effort? The uh, human or monster? Oh, human. Sorry, yes, human. Uh so I I I kind of wrote the initial story concept, and then it was Unai who um fleshed them out and then wrote the story. So it was kind of Unai and I sitting down and talking about, you know, what I wanted out of the story and relating to gameplay. And then he kind of ran with it and wrote the script. Um, I think, you know, my, the, the, whenever someone asks that, I always, cause I, I like all the characters, but the one who's probably my favorite is AG. Okay. Yeah. And I've always liked the idea of like a, a kind of grizzled older Ultraman character who's like sort of thrown in the towel, but not really. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, I like that kind of character and I like how he has a bit of a journey throughout the course of the game mm. and how, when he needs to get serious, he can be. So, yeah. Uh, cause I think, yeah, hi, hi, him and, uh, Jamila, they have a good dynamic throughout the story, which I, I really liked. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the way their, their relationship develops. Um, I really liked uh, Claire Leone. Mm, yeah. she, she was probably my favorite. Um, probably more, I don't know, she's more kind of 
maybe a bit more downbeat than the other characters. But I felt there was like something something to her that I, I really liked and the way her, you know, that kind of struggle she has between what she is she has to do versus what she thinks she should do kind of thing. I really liked that, um, that kind of aspect to her. Yeah, I, I, I quite liked how, I mean, she's she seems like a bit of a, uh, like, you know, straight laced kind of yeah. commander type of person, but mm. she still has those nicer moments with like exactly Jamila and the kids that shows that she's not, she's not all business. Yeah. She's not a total robot or anything. So. Yeah. Um, so like the, uh, I was thinking about the, the art style in the game. So did you have, is this, is this like a, an in-house art team that you have? Like, do you have someone working on, character designs like you know the human characters and then someone else doing the nephilim and so it was uh, almost everything was done internally uh with our own art team there was as we were running out of time we outsourced some character designs okay um but the vast majority of of human and monster designs were done by us in terms of monster designs there was actually only three designs that weren't done by us all right and that's um, Inazudan and Bakudan were done by Matt Frank. And Agnator, the World 4 boss, was done by Shinji Nishikawa. I recognize that name. And he designed, uh, let's see, Biolante. Um, oh. I think Heisei King Ghidorah. No uh, way. Yeah, he designed a. If, if you look up that name, you'll find you'll probably recognize his art. And then he designed like most of the Heisei, a lot of the Heisei kaiju, a lot of the Millennium kaiju. Wow, um, stuff that's from Ultraman, Gridman. Yeah, that's insane. You managed to get him on board. Yeah, yeah, and we managed to get Yuji Kaida to do a piece of key art, and he he's done posters for like he did the poster for like Kong Skull Island, and he did post all sorts of illustrations over the years for Godzilla and Ultraman and Gamera. Did, who did the, uh, there was like a, it looked like a millennium era poster in the gallery of Dawn of the Monsters when I, I unlocked one of them. It looked like a millennium era poster. Was that by yeah, someone that was else? Kaida. Yeah. Oh, no way. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, man, there is so much stuff in this game. That's just like, you know, the archive material, the database mm-hmm. material. Sweet Jesus, there is so much stuff there. And like, because I was, when I first started playing, I was like, oh, you know, fight the monsters, get to the end, the end. But like half of the game is the lore that's already baked into the game. There's just so much stuff there. And like, that was, that was really great. I really enjoyed going through all the archive material and, you know, things like that. It was, um, yeah, a fully fleshed out thing. That was, uh, that was great. I really enjoyed that. I'm I'm glad we we wanted it to feel like there was more to the world than just what's in the game. Mm. Uh, and funnily enough, speaking of things that you know we had to cut, the archives was like twice as big as it ended up being in the game. Like initially, we had to cut it in half because it just became too expensive to localize everything. Jeez. Um, so Unai, I'm sure, has like a bible with all this stuff where he could create like a whole other. He could write stories about Dawn of the Monsters for years. Okay, now, there was a prequel comic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so I read that, and I was like, oh, this is ace. So I feel like if there's all this, you know, all this material, surely this can be funneled into, like, another comic, or, like, maybe maybe like an archive book or something like that? 
you know? I, I'd love to. I'd love to. I don't know much about comic publishing. Like, we just did all that ourselves. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I've been talking to an eye about it, and we'd love to actually just do, like, a uh, even just a, a single, like, a one-shot comic or something that explores yeah. something else. We were talking about he wanted to to explore what happened before the events of the game, like, before, you know, before AG was even... Aegis Prime, like how he became Aegis Prime and stuff like that. So yeah, mm. man, I hope you guys get to do it. That'd be great. That would, really would be awesome. Um, so the music for this game, there's like mm-hmm. o- there's like over an hour of music for this. <laughs> it's great. Uh, I, I listened to the soundtrack in full yesterday because um, you know I thought, well, let, let's listen to this properly, not just you know within the game. Man, it's so good. Um, is this a composer on your team or is this, was this like an outsourced thing or is it multiple composers? Like He's not on our team, but he's been working with us since Rumbo, since our very first game. So Dan Rodriguez, oh, okay. he's kind of our like go-to music guy for every game. Uh, he's right. great. He, he really, he's able to just like whatever style we want, he can, he'll, he'll just like figure it out. Uh, That's cool. very talented guy. Yeah. And, um, with this game, we took a very different approach to our music, which is that we wanted something that could shift dynamically while you're playing. Mm-hmm. So like, depending on how intense the battle is, the music will ramp up in intensity and then ramp down and do all sorts of stuff like that. That's cool. I mean, like even like on the main menu, like it, it changes dynamically. Yeah. As you're yeah, going through that's it. True. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's just uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great attention to detail. The yeah, the music when you get towards the, I don't want to spoil anything, but like the you know the final, mm-hmm. yeah, um, the music throughout all of that, and actually the sound design there was really really good. It felt so <laughs> like ominous and tense. It was uh, yeah awesome. Um, yeah, that's good stuff. A, a lot of the music tracks I find are great to work out to or run to. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, they get your yeah. blood pumping. Yeah, like something like in the Cairo levels. Is it, I think the second. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, uh, that's a good one. Um, so the sound designer is that uh, also someone in house or is this? Uh... So the sound was a bit of a group effort. So we had, uh, a, I think, the majority of the sounds were done by Steve Roberts, a good friend of mine, who I met at like G Fest years oh, okay. ago. Right. Um, so he works in film and television doing sound, and. When I was like, hey, I'm working on a kaiju game. Can you do the sound? He was like, absolutely. <laughs> so he made, like a lot of the roars he made, and he because he's such a big kaiju nut, hmm. he didn't just like go through a library of lion roars and like put filters on them. He took, like to make Megadon's roar, he took a violin bow and a big piece of metal stuck in an apple box and like, scraped it across like very similar to the process that we assume yeah godzilla was Mm -hmm. made and then he he messed around with that so like megadon's roar is done like analog like it's done it was done the old school way yeah and uh yeah he did a lot of crazy stuff to make every monster roar um there was a lot of a lot of neat things he pulled off there and he, he also made a lot of sound effects that had a bit of that showa flair to them a little a little crunchy a little compressed mm. um 
And then uh, a lot of the sound effects were supplied by another friend of mine. Um, I don't know what he what he goes by. I mean, my friend Benjamin. Okay. And uh, he did a lot of the like environmental stuff, um, ambient stuff. And then Steph, who's on our team as producer, was the one who actually put it all in the game and implemented it. So okay. It was a bit of a tag team yeah. process. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, very very good sound design. Um, yeah, the roars are great. They really are. And like, uh, I really like Ganira's the the hold strong attack. It's almost like an eagle sound. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a really cool one. I love that. Um, so there's a bunch of Easter eggs in this game. So like, yeah. a few of the ones that kind of st- stood out to me. There's um, Goromaki, which I'm guessing is a Shin Godzilla reference. Is that right? Well, it's Shin Godzilla and God, like Godzilla 1984 and Son of Godzilla. There's a Goro Maki in, in all all those films. Oh, right. Oh, wow. Okay, it's more than just the Shin Godzilla. Okay, right. Yeah, so we were like, it's the most used name in the whole Godzilla series for I don't know why, but we were like, <laughs> okay, well, we'll, you know. Go with it. Let's bring it back. Yeah. Um, I'm, guess- I'm guessing AG was named after AG Tsuburaya. That's my, my assumption. He- he was, he was though. There's a be That's like the 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 core Easter egg. The even sneakier Easter egg is that way back when, when this was gonna be a King of the Monsters game, mm. um, the Ultraman type guy in that game is called Atomic Guy, which is A G is his initials. Okay. So we were gonna have the human version of him be called A G. Oh no way! So that it was like yeah. The, the, that's like six layers deep of a reference <laughs> that no one will get. <laughs> um, yeah, there were, there were a bunch of others I saw as well. Um, like, I like, saw the Gorgo comic. There was a kaiju holding a biplane um, at one point, like, uh, yeah. in, in the environment. Um, and, like, even outside of kaiju stuff, there was the room that two certain characters were in. Um, room 237, which I thought was a, yeah. a, a little yeah, nod. Yeah. Um I mean, are there any Easter eggs that people haven't spotted yet that you're like, how's no one seen this? Or is there anything you... There probably are, but there's so many Easter eggs, it's hard for me to keep track. <laughs> I I tried to make an exhaustive list. Right. Um, but then you got exhausted. <laughs> but yeah, but like <laughs> emphasis on exhaustive, right? So I, I did make a post on on my blog on Control All Monsters about some of the Easter eggs, uh, obvious and not so obvious. And some of them cut pretty deep. Like there's some of the ones in Tokyo, like some of the billboards Mm. are really specific deep cuts for like Super Sentai and um, things like that. Okay. Uh, In World 1 in Canada, in Toronto, there's a bunch of deep cuts of like canadian brands or canadian yeah i saw was it like a tim norton's or tim something Norton, yeah, yeah tom yeah. norton's tom norton's yeah um, that was it yeah yeah things like that i mean pretty much anywhere you look something is is a little a little wink or a nod and we wanted to make them in a way that it wouldn't interrupt the story mm. um but still be a uh, fun for people to uh to try and recognize try and pull them out yeah oh, that's cool um so in the database, once you finish the game, there's that kind of cipher or something. There's like a, a, 
an archive material you unlock and it's, mm-hmm. it looks like you know just a string of letters i have no idea man what that is i don't know i couldn't figure it out i had a quick look online i was like i can't find out anything about this can you give me a clue as to what that's all about well i mean it is a cipher i don't remember the exact method to decode it okay who do i need but- to hassle to find that out <laughs> Well, I know that on our Discord, on the 13M Games Discord, there is someone who figured it out. Oh. Uh, and there's like a spoilers channel for people. And every now and then, someone comes in and they were like, what does it say? And someone's like, points back to that post. Okay, right. I need to <laughs> so I'm sure if you went in and you were like, can someone give me a hint on what to do? Yeah. They would do that. Or if you just wanted to know it, they would uh, okay. spill the beans. Okay, I'll have a look. Um Yes, yeah, so I mean, this game is obviously very personal to you, being the kaiju fan that you are. I mean, you must have been quite, uh, you know, anxious in the run up to the release of this. I mean, whenever I like, cause I, I, you know, draw pictures and stuff. Like whenever I put something out, you know, it's there's a lot of anxiety in like, how's this going to be received? You know, um, mm-hmm. so with something like this, I mean, were you stressed at the thought of releasing this? I mean, actually, was this the first game you've directed or is this like, cause I, I think I heard somewhere that it's like, you got, you guys take it in turns to, you know, with each no, game. But this isn't my first game I've directed. Okay. Um, but it, it does feel like the, I guess the most directed game I've done in a way. Like obviously right. there's a lot of my own passion going into the decisions behind a lot of, uh, a lot of the direction in the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's always it's always super nerve wracking before you release a game. Not only because you're you have no idea if it's going to resonate with people or not. Yeah. But also because at that point you're just like absolutely exhausted from game development. <laughs> you just want to sleep. Yeah. And thankfully, I mean, the response was was awesome right out the gate. Okay. a lot of really positive response not just from kaiju fans i mean the kaiju fans really loved it but like just regular kind of games journalists and stuff and people who just like action games or beat em up games really enjoying the combat enjoying the story stuff like that so that's when you know you've done something right i think yeah if it's, it's resonated beyond the niche that you're kind of targeting yeah you know then you then you're you're onto something there so that's that's really good that's great Yes, it was a relief for sure. Yeah, certainly very that. satisfying to release, especially because it—it's very rare that there's a new kaiju thing. Like a lot of kaiju mm. media is is a, a rehash or a reboot or a sequel to something that already exists. Yeah, so you never know quite how people will react. Mm. Um, but that was really satisfying to to pull off. That's that's cool. Um, so what's well, I mean, what's the the future of Dawn of the Monsters? You said there's DLC coming now. Yes. So there was a vote, right, for a uh, a new uh, character, playable character. Now I missed the boat on this. <laughs> I, I missed I missed the boat. I'm pretty gutted because I saw who the winner was. Like, yeah, that's great and all, but I wanted Zeranoff, the um, that kind of you know um, foresty looking gorilla thing. Yeah, the the ape creature monster. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed, frankly. <laughs> I really wanted that one. <laughs> Zeranoth had a lot of fans. I, honestly, when we put it together, I kind of expected Meteor Temujin, the, 
the Megazord type of character. I expected mm. Meteor Temujin to win just because there's so many Power Rangers fans. And but yeah, I I was surprised by how many people did actually vote for for Zeranoth. Um, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was a close vote. Okay, but it was clo- closer than I expected. So. Okay. Yeah, who knows if if the DLC does well and the game sells a lot, then there's nothing stopping us from from bringing Xeranoth out. The nice thing is, is we did the work to actually develop the lore for all the characters. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you had um, yeah, you had like a little bio for each one, yeah. and like, even the um, the character for Xeranoth, um, I really liked the idea with her. She kind of reminded me of um, you know Gia from um, Godzilla vs Kong. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Gia. Gia is one of my favorite parts of Godzilla vs. Kong, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Great character. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. Maybe maybe enough <laughs> will, it will come about. Let's see. Um, so with the DLC, is there going to be any more game modes? Because I, I, I have a, a bit of a wish list. Yeah. I'd love a survival mode. Well, I, I will say, I mean, we haven't announced all the content of the DLC yet. Um, okay. But I'll, I'll, say, I'll say two things. One, there, there will be uh, a new kind of game mode, a new way to play. And okay. uh, w- so when we released the game, one of the things that surprised us, because most beat-em-ups are like, if you're lucky, an hour and a half, two hours long. Right, yeah. And we built something that was closer to like six to eight hours. And then if you if you want to complete everything, maybe around 10 hours, if you want to get all the S ranks and all that stuff. Yep. Um, but right away, right out the gate... People were like, "We want, we want more. We want, we want more Dawn of the Monsters." And we were like, "Okay." This, this is kind of a, like a, it's a weird. I think it's a video game culture thing, you know. I mean, once something's out, people just want more, like straight away, even while it's still fresh. Yeah, you know, like with with movies or something like, you know, Citizen Kane came out. <laughs> no one was going, "When's the sequel happening?" Yeah. Come on, guys, you know. But with video games, for some reason, as soon as it's out, it's like more, please. Yeah. So, so we wanted to address that. People were like, "I've already beat beaten everything." So the yeah. DLC is trying to do its best to address the, the the desire for more to play. So okay, um, yeah, keep your eyes peeled. We'll, we'll hopefully we'll be announcing more details soon. But yeah, we wanted to make sure that you can, if you want to, just play the game for as much as you can. Mm. Uh, that we can we can support that. Okay, cool. Um, there's also one other thing mm-hmm. that I thought would be quite nice. If if it's not in a DLC, if it's in a sequel, if that ever happens, you know, um, would be to be able to switch characters on the fly, kind of like you know mm. X Men versus Street Fighter style. You know, if you know, switch tag characters in and out, I thought would be uh, that'd be cool. That's something that I wanted to have, but it was like how uh, do we figure it out and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, yeah, I, I I would love to be able to like have a a game mode, maybe it's in a sequel or something where you can just like, did you ever play the, there was an old Ninja Turtles game on NES mm-hmm. and at any moment the, you the could beat him up one. Uh, is it's like Manhattan? It was, it was a platformer. It was a platformer. It's a bad game. Oh. It's not a good game. Okay. <laughs> uh, like it sucks, but at any point you could pause and you could swap turtles and they had their own life uh, bars. Okay. Right. And so I think it would be interesting to have a mode where you can swap between characters, but like that's your lives is like if, if all your characters die, you die or something. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, or like in, I think in the new Devil May Cry, you can swap between every weapon you have, which is like insane. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, if, you, if ever you get the chance to make that happen, that'd be great. I'll let you know. I'll <laughs> let you know. Okay, cool. Um, 
So do you think you'd ever be able to work with like a Toho property in the future? Like, like, you know, well, not even just Toho, but like, you know, if you could work with Godzilla or like Gamera or Pacific Rim or something, is there any, did you ever like approach anyone to be like, Hey, can we put, you know, uh, you know, Gamera in this or whatever? I mean, I don't know how you'd go, even go about that to be honest with you, but yeah, I mean, or do you want to keep it its own like, thing? I know. I know some of those people. Okay. Yeah. I mean, with, with, with Dawn of the Monsters, we kind of wanted to keep it its own thing. Cause Mm. You know, the moment we would drop, if we dropped like a Godzilla or, or an Ultraman into it, I mean, it would be cool for, because I'm a big fan of those, um, mm-hmm. but we wouldn't want it to like outshine what we've built, which is like a this this narrative and this world that makes sense in yeah. and of itself. Um, but I'd be really interested in working with those properties on like a totally new original game, because, right. you know, with especially with like Godzilla video games, like there hasn't been a Godzilla video game that tells like a good coherent story and like Godzilla is a movie series movies are, are stories like <laughs> yeah you know? yeah like, I, I would love to see I mean I, I love action more than anything but yeah I would love to to tell more stories and same with Gamera I, there actually is the the you know one of the few Gamera games that exists in Gamera 2000 on PS1 um it has a pretty in-depth story it's not a great one but it's a Gamera game there's a Gamera game for PS1. It's it's really fun. It's like a 3D shoot 'em up, and oh, right. it has live action cutscenes in t- fully in English. So what the hell? I've never even heard of this. Oh, it's it's is it good? I I love it. Like it's it's really fun. If it, it plays more like Star Fox, um, okay, that's cool. But uh, but yeah, I mean, Gamera is such a great video game character. I don't know why mm. they haven't made more Gamera games, but. Uh. Okay, um, so as this is a Godzilla podcast, mm-hmm. uh, I want to talk to you a bit about Godzilla. You know, I've got you here. I figure this is this is my time to do it, right? Because like with Graham and I, we we're kind of in our own echo chamber, mm-hmm. and like we talk about it amongst us because we don't really know m- many people that are really into kaiju and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hassle you for a little bit. I'll just I'll cut straight to the one the one main thing I wanted to do. Right, the heart of the issue. Yeah, the heart of the issue. So. I wanted to play it. Have you ever heard of Desert Island Discs? Desert Island Discs? Yeah, it's it's probably a UK thing. I don't think it went anywhere else after that. Basically, you're stranded stranded on a desert island. What are the five albums you'd want with you, kind of thing? Okay. So we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it a bit differently. Monster Island Discs. All so, right. All right. So you got one film, one soundtrack, and then you get a bonus item. So it could be like a game, a comic, or like a. Angiris waifu pillow or something. You know, you get mm. one extra item as well. So those three things. All Godzilla. Um, no, not necessarily. Okay. Well, if it was a movie, mm-hmm. I, th- I honestly think that the Godzilla movie I've watched the most, and thus it extends, like I can only assume, would be the one I'd want to keep watching the most, is the original 1974 Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Okay. Um, Reasons? I find that movie so fun and like, it's just a blast and Godzilla looks really mean in it and he looks really angry, but also kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> so that, that I definitely need a copy of Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Okay. Um, soundtrack soundtrack soundtrack's tough that's a tough one yeah I, I was gonna say the Godzilla 98 soundtrack because it's funny but like I don't I don't <laughs> want, I don't want that uh, 
You know, a, a soundtrack that surprised me and how much I enjoyed it was the Singular Point soundtrack. Okay. Um, because it has a track in it that uses the Godzilla theme in a way I've never heard it before. Uh, so, so maybe I'll go with I'll go with I'll go with that. Sure. Okay. Cool. You know. Yeah. Um, and you got a bonus item. A bonus item. A bonus item. Probably uh, like a DVD copy of Ultraman Gaia, because like I. You know, Ultraman shows aren't short, mm-hmm. and I've already watched that one multiple times because I just enjoy it that much. Okay, but uh, that that would probably be that probably That'd be that it. should that should have me covered. Yeah. That should have me covered. That, I think yeah, that's cool. So the uh, none of the Godzilla ninety eight tapes that you have got a look in. Come on. Well, I mean, I've got I've got no shortage of them. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's plenty. How, to go how, around. how many are you up to now? It was like 51 last I, I saw. I'm at 52 now. <gasps> That's like, you know, one for every week of the year. Yeah, if I can get to 98 by the end of the year, I'll be happy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, did Laserdisc not get a, get a look in? No? Just, just the VHS tapes? Just the VHS. <laughs> you know, the exact same one. Though it's weird. When, when I laid them all out on the table... Mm. I noticed that a handful of them aren't shiny. Oh. Um, Are they like bootlegs? One of them w- was a promotional tape, a screener tape. Oh, right. The other ones, I'm not sure why they weren't shiny. Maybe it was a later version of the release. Who mm, knows? Could be. Okay, so let's wrap it up. All so right. if anyone wants to get in touch with you or they want to see what you're doing, where, where can they do that? Uh, so I've got my Twitter is at goji underscore guy. And uh, my website, which is my blog, is controlallmonsters.com. Is of course, 13amgames.com and all of the associated social media channels. Um, I've also started doing some YouTube videos under the Control All Monsters name. And, um, uh, and I mean, I go to G-Fest every year. If people want to hang out in person, yeah. come say hi. Nice. And I'm going to try to make it to All Monsters Attack this year. So we'll see how that goes. Okay, cool. Uh, anything else you want to say that you've left unsaid so far? Uh, I mean, thank you for having me. Thank you for playing Dawn of the Monsters. And oh, no worries, man. I know Kaiju are the best. Yeah, okay, great. Uh, yeah, thank you for not making it live service garbage as well. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Happy to. Okay, cool, man. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. Thanks again to Alex for being on the show and thanks to all of you for listening. Feel free to get in touch with us and let us know if you've played Dawn of the Monsters and what you thought of it. Or if you want to tell us your thoughts on any of the other films we've covered in our previous episodes, we'd be glad to hear from you. Of course, you can find us pretty much everywhere on the usual social channels or on YouTube by searching for Monster Island Radio, as I'm sure you all know by now. Good news, I think I can see Graham now. Looks like he's scraped through, so he should be back for our next episode. So in the meantime, take care everyone. Bye.